Attention all planets of the Solar Federation, we have assumed control. Hey Rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rock U Podcast. It's episode 12. We made a dozen. We're like donuts. Donuts. Well, we should throw an extra one in there someplace. Maybe we will. We'll talk about that later. A baker's dozen, maybe. Or, Or maybe two. That's a possibility. Before I forget... What are you wearing today, Matt? Well, I think you should introduce yourself first. Oh, well, I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley. <laughs> and sitting with me, the guy that keeps talking to me, whatever I say, <laughs> he's the Dean of Rock U, Matt Black. Hello, podcast land. And you can tell how what, what a well-oiled machine this is now. We really, we're really running on all the cylinders after uh, 11 episodes. I think we might need a tune-up, maybe a little summer break. Maybe. So. All right, man. What are you wearing? I, I have a couple uh, of bands that... Uh, I think you've actually proposed this as a podcast topic. I have a few bands that everyone else likes better than I do. Okay. And one you of have them, a shirt of one of those? I do, because I still like the band, and I okay. really like the shirt. Today I'm wearing my Red Hot Chili Peppers shirt with the multiple Red Arrow logo. Nice. Um, I like the Chili Peppers. They're a good band. All their songs sound kind of the same to me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I do like them, and just everyone else seems to like them more. But I, you'll see why I'm wearing this one, because they do, they do have one song that I really am fond of. Okay, cool. Well, I'm sporting my Rush Fly-By-Night t-shirt, and you'll see, you'll see why in a minute. Anything we got to do before we do our main segment? Well, I think when you introduce the main segment, we should probably say this is our last episode of Season 1, Episode 12, Season 1. And I just want to say thanks to you, Seth, because this was your idea. This whole podcast (laughs) thing was your crazy idea. If you don't like it, blame me. It's (laughs) my fault. And we we started talking about it about a year ago. We We started recording it, I think, in November. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. But those of you out there... If you're appreciating what you're hearing, that's because Seth takes these crazy recordings that we make and makes sense of them somehow, makes them sound good, (laughs) makes them coherent. And uh, Seth, thank you for all that you've done for the podcast. Well, man, thank you for being the co-host and coming up with amazing ideas and just being so much fun to hang out and do this with. Well, you too. I really appreciate that. You too, you too. And, you know, hey, listen, if we get to sit around and talk rock and roll, you know, a couple times a month, I'm in. All right, cool. So this is kind of, you would say, the outro of season one, right? Yeah, it is. And today's topic? Top five best outros. All right. In rock. We always have to say this. In rock. In rock. Because there's always someone out there who's like, well, you forgot the outro to uh, Brahms' second symphony. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Because it's outros, who's going last? I think I went first in the intro episode, so I think... You should go first in the outro. So, I don't want to take the I don't want to take the the prime spot if there's a if no, there's some cachet to being last. No, I'll, I'll give it to there's you. There's no cachet. To All right, being well last. I get I get to go. It last. doesn't matter. <laughs> half half the audience is gonna like yours, and half the audience is gonna like mine, or maybe they'll like all of these. They, they already oh. stopped. They already stopped listening. Don't. Worry. <laughs> all right, man. So I'm gonna go first, and you'll see why I'm wearing a Rush shirt. Wait a second. You like Rush? Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. My number five top outro. Oh wait. It, I'm sorry. I didn't need to interrupt. We didn't talk about our criteria. Oh, we that's usually right. do that. And I was going to say, I used the same criterion that I used for the intros episode, which is it had to be musically distinct from the rest of the song. Right. But I added something for this one because there's so many great Uh-oh. outros. Okay. My, the other criterion I used is it has to be the best part of the song. Ah. 
Okay. For me, that's my. That was my. That's used, how I winnowed them down. I used your first criteria, but I didn't use your second. So you were more casual, like we both were for the intros episode, which yeah, is all good. Pretty much. So yeah. All right, go for it. What's, right. your, what's your number five? So my number five is Twenty One Twelve by Rush. Wow. It's a really long song. Twenty-two um, minutes. It's like twenty minutes and thirty-three yeah. seconds okay, yeah. on that on that album version. And at the end, the blazing guitar work of Alice Lifeson in the last minute of this song, it just stands on its own. You add in the amazing playing of Getty Lee and Neil Peart, which is a Rush normal. And this is one of, if not Rush's best, really long form song. It takes up the entirety of side one of the record. But the part that puts this outro masterpiece over the top, even with all the good music, for me, is when they make the announcement... I know it's sci-fi and prog rocky, <laughs> and it's just altogether weird and totally geeky. I don't care. I love it anyway. My seventh grade self is just <laughs> digging this right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, All right, it's man. an instrumental other than that, right? No. 2112 has lyrics? Or what am I confusing oh, yeah. you with? All right. I'm con- totally. Cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good totally choice. It's, I mean, it is, it's, an, it's an epic work of rock art. Yeah, and no when they recorded it, they were at the end of their record deal, and they said, you know what, we're just going to record whatever the hell we want ah. and see what the record company says. Interesting. And luckily for them, they actually got people to play the record on the radio, and folks went out and bought it, and the rest is history. Well, you'll hear an echo of that same idea with my number one, so we'll bookend the, oh, sweet. Uh, the, the podcast, or at least right. the segment with that. What's your number five in the outro list? Okay, well, I when I was thinking about outros, I, I just love good outros. There's nothing like a good outro, especially if the crowd sings along or oh, yeah. starts moving, whatever. But it's so hard to choose. There's so many great outros. I ended up kind of just choosing with my heart more than my head. I didn't analyze them too much. And uh, yeah, I ended up... I did up, the same thing. Yeah, and I ended up choosing, not, not surprisingly, I ended up choosing... Of my five songs, four of them are songs that I have done with my Rock U bands and just gave me a lot of pleasure to practice in the room and yeah. a lot of pre- pleasure to watch them play it in the shows. This is my number five. This was played by Clownfish a few years ago. I don't. They, t- they had a lot of different band names, uh, so I'm not sure if this they played this while they were Clownfish or Out of the Blue or something else, but uh, it's The <laughs> Chain by Fleetwood Mac. The Chain is, are you looking at me because you have the same one? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a Franken song. Different band members of Fleetwood Mac brought ideas or concepts that they had for other unfinished songs, and they kind of patched them all together. And it's difficult in this song to say the outro is the best part because it's all so good. The, all, the whole song is amazing. The resonator guitar work uh, by Lindsey Buckingham, the uh, harmony vocals, everything is good. Yeah. But the outro features, first of all, one of the most famous bass lines in rock and roll, played by John McVie, mm-hmm. and isolated pretty much by itself for a good portion of the song. I don't know how many seconds, but a good few seconds where it's just the bass line. Yeah. And then it comes in with this screaming, basically one-note solo by Lindsey Buckingham. These great vocals by uh, 
uh, Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham all singing probably at that point. Right. It just wails. And I don't actually, I don't remember how long it is, how long the outro is, but it's quite long. You probably have that information if it's on your list. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's a great song. And I loved watching whatever the, I think maybe they were Roman Boulevard when they, I don't remember. They changed their name all the time. But that particular band, they know who they are. When they played it live in concert at a Rock U show, it was just a great moment. So my number four is The Chain <laughs> by Fleetwood Mac. What's our, where's our sound effect? <laughs> Hit it. Okay. Bidding. It's on Rumors from 1977, one of the best rock albums ever. Agreed. And just after the three-minute mark is when John McVie's bass solo comes in with that simple snare pattern that's played by Mick Fleetwood. And then Lindsey Buckingham, like you said, comes in with that wailing guitar solo capped off by Stevie Nicks' vocals and Christine McVie. Then Lindsey Buckingham's response to her singing. It's an amazing end to an already iconic song. And I think that's the best song on their best album. And that outro, like you said, it just takes this song to a completely different level. It turns it into a perfect rock song. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. Is this the first time I think we've this agreed? is the first time we've agreed on a group on a, on a and top a five. song. And a top, on a top five. five. Yeah, exactly. We've had, that's true. We've, we've, we've duplicated <clears throat> artists or... Yeah, but or, never songs. Yeah, never songs. Yeah, never songs. Yeah, exactly. All right. Wow. All right. Well, I'm glad we have a sound effect for that now. <laughs> Me too. All right. So, number four. No, my number four, right? Number four. Okay. That's right. Okay. So, this is my Red Hot Chili Peppers shirt. So, okay. there's a song which I looked it up. It's not, I don't even think it's one of the Chili Peppers' top 20 songs in terms of commercial success or even popularity. Okay. It's hard to find because Spotify will give you the top 10 songs of an artist, but they won't give you past that. But it's not ah. in the top 10. It's a song called Goodbye Angels. Mm. And do you know this one? I don't think I do. Well, we'll have to listen to that in the clip, but okay. uh, Goodbye Angels was performed by Rock U Legends Manifesto, who are in the Rock U studio in a picture upstairs. Uh, nice. If, if you know the you know the band I know the, the picture, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love this outro, and I loved when Manifesto played it, because they also made it wail. So it starts with this slap bass solo by Flea, which is pretty incredible by just on its own. If that was the end of the song, it would have been great. Any but, slap bass solo by Flea is awesome. Well, this one's better. And, <laughs> And then you get this great Josh Klinghoffer guitar solo. Now, John Frusciante gets a lot of the accolades for being like the voice of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on guitar, but Josh Klinghoffer was no slouch either. They had a lot of good guitar players. He wasn't bad, yeah. Yeah. And he plays this incredible guitar solo, and then what I love about it is there's a second bass line. Under the main bass line, which is still going, and the guitar solo, which is still going, there's this deeply distorted, fuzzed out bass line, which is just, it's almost like a, it's beautiful. And the best part of the outro is there are no vocals on it, because (laughs) one of the things I don't like about the Chili Peppers is all their lyrics sound the same to me, and I don't hear a lot of variation yeah. in uh, Anthony Kiedis, Anthony Kiedis' voice. So, I, you know, that's one of the reasons I don't love the band, but I love that outro, and I loved when Manifesto played it. Cool. What's your number three? My number three, just because it's completely awesome, is For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. That's great. By ACDC, from the album of the same name. This song has a great intro, but the outro is what makes this thing super special. The last minute of this one is just full power ACDC with that ripping Angus Young solo, Brian Johnson's rough, gravelly vocals, and the exclamation mark on this is the cannon fire that's interspersed throughout. It's their version of the 1836 Overture, and it's amazing. Cool. <laughs> I, I I know the song. I can't 
hear the outro in my head, but obviously you're going to add the clip, so I'll listen to it when yeah. I listen to the podcast. And don't forget, people, there's a Spotify playlist in the show notes. You can listen to all these songs in their entirety. Exactly. Except we'll be one short because we doubled up this time. So. <laughs> we'll put it in there twice, or you can just hit rewind and yeah. play it again. Ready for my number three? Go for it. Okay. My number three, I love this song, and I particularly love it because... The epic rock U band Sedataphobia played this song in the studio and in concert several times. It might have even been before they were Sedataphobia, but I don't think so. Anyway, it's Sign of the Times by Harry Styles. Now, I think you could take issue with me choosing a Harry Styles song to be one of the top five rock intros of all time. But first of all, he's... Out- outro? Outro, intro? sorry. Outro, outro, outro. outro. He <laughs> is a very talented and a really impressive rock artist. I'm, I, I, his solo work since... Yeah, yeah, I know. One Direction. His solo work <laughs> has been outstanding. And I think this is a great example of what he did in his first album, which is kind of a rock, retro rock throwback album in a lot of ways. Very different from his second album, which is more of a pop and R&B album. Anyway, very cool stuff. But... Sign of the Times is a really interesting song musicologically. The whole song is full of significance and symbolism. People have done, you know, some deep dives into what it means. It's got religious symbolism. It's got, it appears to have some personal significance in terms of his career. Uh-huh. It, no one knows if it's coincidental. Well, somebody knows, but I don't know. If it's coincidental <laughs> that he chose the name of a Prince album, Sign of the Times, right. uh, as the title of the song. The video adds some layers of, is this talking about the end times or the afterlife? I mean, there's a lot going on in this song. But it's really a testament to good songwriting because the song, up until the outro, has only three chords. And it doesn't have a lot of dynamics or variety. It's pretty repetitive. It's almost trance-like. But it all pays off when the outro comes. Four full minutes into the song. It builds to that with a new melody, new lyrics, and a brilliant new chord. This is one of those songs that if you're playing it, it might get a little boring because you're just playing the same chords over and over again. But if you're listening to it with an open mind, you're going to hear something very special in that outro. The musicological significance of this outro is that Harry Styles adds the B-flat major to this basic chord progression of F major, D minor, C major, which is really familiar to our ears as Western music listeners. But he holds back that B-flat chord, which is the four chord in the chord progression, and brings it back to the one chord, the F chord, the dominant, uh, the tonic chord, excuse me. And that chord change from the four to the one is known as the plagal cadence, which is also referred to sometimes as the amen chord. You hear the four to the one, and that's how we end a lot okay. of prayers in Western music. And it brings a sense of emotional resolution that other ways of resolving the chord don't bring. So the outro almost feels like the end of a prayer. And if you go back and look at the lyrics and listen to the whole song, you might see what he was trying to do there. All right. My number two is You're No Good by Linda Ronstadt. But it's the live version from live in the album Live in Hollywood. It was recorded in 1980 for an HBO special, I believe. Cool. The last four minutes of this song are the outro. And it's more than half the song. And it's amazing the way that the band ends this thing up with a solo on the bass, and then both guitars trade solos, and then you have the closing vamp with the amazing vocals by Linda Ronstadt. And then the extended ending where they go through two trash can solos for the drummer. This takes a really good song and makes it absolutely amazing. I love listening to that that version of that song. 
and it's fun to play along with and if I could talk the guys in my band into playing it I would love to play that with them just an amazing an amazing amazing outro love that one that's really cool I'm gonna have to go listen to that because I performed that song but I don't know this live version I don't know this outro yeah it's you you would really like I'm gonna check it out yeah Okay. All right, what's your number two? My number two, Karma Police by Radiohead. And ah. uh, actually, this is kind of a stand-in. It could have been any number of Radiohead songs, but this is my favorite of them. They all have a similar feature, which I'll get to in a second. But Karma Police was a song that I worked on with a band called Stuck on 47. And then they played it again the next year when they were Coiler Supreme. And most of them were still there the following year as Manifesto. So that <laughs> they're, they're an early iteration of Manifesto, which is who I already mentioned. I don't want to make a huge deep dive into it, but what I love about it is sort of a Radiohead trademark. Colin Greenwood, the bass player of Radiohead, is one of my favorite bass players, and he often doesn't play what we would consider traditional bass lines, where he's supporting the chords above it. He often plays what are basically counter melodies underneath the vocal, underneath whatever else is going on in the keyboards and the guitars. His bass lines, I think, set the feel for most Radiohead songs, and this seems to be something I hear in a lot of Radiohead songs, where he changes the bass line in the outro. Yeah. To, to make the song different. Now, it does have a distinct, this song does have a distinct outro, distinct lyrics, distinct chords, but it's really the bass line that makes it. But I could have also used Weird Fishes uh, as, or 15 Step as songs that have the same thing. Re- I really enjoyed performing this song with, or watching, or teaching this song to Stuck on 47 and Coil the Supreme and watching them perform it. It's a great song, and again, it could stand in for most of Radiohead's catalog. All right, my number one is from a band called Living Color which I think I've mentioned on this podcast before. And I could have picked Cult of Personality, which is the song that everybody knows from them, or Money Talks, which is another great song. But I had to go with This Is The Life off of Time's Up from 1990. It's the best outro from these guys. This was on my list of honorable mentions on our Hidden Gems episode. And the lyrics in the song start with imagining what your life could have been like without any of the negatives but it goes on to change tone into focusing on what you have. And then the outro comes in at about the five minute mark with Corey Glover's powerful vocals and Will Calhoun's pounding drums with the quarter note pulse on the China crash to drive home the title of the song like a sledgehammer. The guitar solo fade out that's a callback to the very original intro is a perfect way to cap off this song. I'm aware that this might not be a popular pick, but I don't care. It really speaks to me, and that's why it's my number one. That's great. I have to. I'm. I'm trying to think if I know the song. I don't think I. You do. might not, because yeah. I don't think this one didn't yeah. get hardly any radio play yeah. at all. Yeah, I remember living. I remember uh, Cult of Personality, of course, and a few of their other radio songs, but not that one. Yeah. All right. You ready? Right. You ready for the outro of the outro episode? What's the outro of the outro? Sort episode? of, because not exactly. We got we honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, those are coming. We do. Of course, we do. Well. <laughs> Last episode with our intros episode, I leaned in to my love of the Beatles, and I actually put my number one and two as Beatles songs for the intros episode. I could have done it again. I could have gone one and two, but I decided to just go number one. All right. And I I would say this is the outro to end all outros. Uh, Of course, it's Hey Jude. It yeah. is. It, hey Jude is a. <laughs> hold on, I can't. I can't really read my notes here. Um, it's 
Nah, 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 yeah, nah, exactly. nah, nah. Wait, well, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, first of all, it's an incredibly significant song. It's got a lot of significance to the Beatles themselves, the personal histories between the, right. particularly John Lennon and Paul McCartney. I'm not going to go into too much of that. It was the first song they ever recorded on eight track recording instead of four track. It's the longest, it was at the time at least the longest charting single of any song. And you mentioned in your, in number five, uh, yeah. that Rush said, you know, basically threw caution to the wind and said, uh, we're just going to do it anyway. We're well, doing what we want and we'll let the record company sort it out later. A similar thing happened with this song. It came in at 7 minutes and 11 seconds and the Beatles creative team or whoever, producers George Martin, whoever said, radio stations won't play this and John Lennon said, they will if it's us and they did. Uh, and it, it became right. <laughs> became one of the most significant most commercially successful Beatles songs. I think maybe, I think Let It Be, it's either that or Let It Be is number one. I can't remember which. It's got a lot of other cool subplots. Uh, the 36-piece the orchestra that was hired to come in and at the end also uh, clap and sing along and one of them refused to do it it's only 35 <laughs> <laughs> and the way Paul McCartney interacted with these musicians John Lennon drops an inadvertent F-bomb at about the three minute mark and it got picked up it's barely audible but it's still there If you, I think it's two minutes and 58 seconds if you listen with very good quality you can hear them so there's so much to talk about but let's just keep it to the outro the outro starts at three minutes and nine seconds of a seven minute and eleven second song Yeah. and as you pointed out it has one lyric Nah, 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 nah. Hey, Jude. We don't need no stinking lyrics. The Beatles knew how to write a song, my friend. The Beatles knew how to write a song. And this is what good songwriters do. They make a lot out of very little. And once again, we're talking about a song with a three-chord progression, for most of it, at least. There's some breaks in there. And But he he makes an interesting substitution for the outro, something he wrote differently, something they play differently. So instead of that C major chord, it's also it's in the same key as uh, Sign of the Time, so it's an F major. Instead of that C major chord, he goes to the E flat chord, and then to the B flat chord, which we already talked about is yeah. the is the four chord, which makes it a double plagal cadence. Because E flat to B flat is a plagal cadence, and B flat to C is a plagal cadence. So who knew Matt knew all this music theory? I, I, don't, I didn't know. I Matt don't. Knew I'm that. spitting back terms, and I just can hear the rest of the the rest of the the staff who know music a lot better than I do saying, "No, you got it totally wrong." Well. <laughs> Just, it is a remarkable outro, and I challenge anyone to be in a room where that's playing and, and try not to sing along. Go ahead. Just try. Okay. So I got to tell you this. Remember when we, a few episodes back, when you did the how to do a set list, mm-hmm. and I told you, you know, as a DJ, keep the dance floor moving. Most people would not put this song on for a DJ dance set. This one fills the floor every time. Everybody's up and down. They're all singing, and they don't leave. I wouldn't have believed it until I tried it two or three times, and it's a killer. No-brainer. Yeah. No-brainer. It's It's three minutes of pretty much just piano, but who cares? It has that outro. I mean, come on. All right. Honorable mentions time. My list was my personal preferences, but honorable mentions, I had to go with what's going to be classic. So, Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues. If you don't know this song, go listen to it. The outro is strings and the recitation of a poem, but it works. It's amazing. Go listen to that one. One that I thought you were going to bring up, Layla, Derek and the Dominoes. It's on my honorables. Yeah, the, the, the piano outro for that one. Ride Like the Wind. That's a good one. Christopher Cross. That in a while. The guitar solo that is too low in the mix. You got to turn it up to hear this solo. It's amazing. Dramatically underrated guitarist. Who 
whoever the engineer was or the mixer was that put that guitar solo so far back that it's criminal. You should go hmm. listen to that, turn it up, and listen to the solo. Will. I had Hey Jude, obviously, with because it's just such a banger. I mean, you, you wouldn't think it is, but it is. Comfortably Numb, the guitar solo at the end with David Gilmour. I mean, the first guitar solo is great, and people argue about, is it one of the greatest guitar solos of all time? I think the one at the end is better, and it makes the end I think most people like classic. the second one better, yeah. Yeah. And then another great piano outro is Epic by Faith No More. It's such a contrast to the thrash heavy metal song, it's a great outro for that one. What's your on your honorable mention list? Well, I'll start with the other Beatles song I absolutely could have used, which is A Day in the Life. Yeah. And the true outro of the song to me is the, the chord played on three different pianos at the same time, Yeah. which resonates for, I don't know how long it is, but I think it's a good full minute. They turn the gains on the microphones way up. So even when the, the sound was barely audible in the studio, it was still You're recording. Still getting, yeah. But that's not the best part of the song. So even though it's a very important and significant and famous outro, it's not the best part of the song. And then some versions have that weird part at the end, which I don't even, the gibberish part at the end. So I didn't use that one. Okay. I used Hey Jude instead. <laughs> Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder, which uses real recorded sounds of his baby. Of his baby girl. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But I didn't use that one because it's not musically different than the rest of the song. Because uh, the song starts, what's the first sound in the song? His baby crying. Is it? All right. Yeah. I forgot that. All right. Uh, Moving Out by Billy Joel, which, yep. again, not differently, not that different musically, but it's got the motorcycle sounds and, you know, him, <laughs> him driving off. Two songs I already used, Purple Rain, multiple times. I'm talking about a gu- guitar solo. And then I don't know how long the, the piano part at the end lasts, but it's quite a long time. It's an epic, epic outro. Well, it's a nine-minute song. I basically like, could use Purple Rain for long. every single list we do, it seems like. <laughs> Um, Psycho Killer, I use for my top five intros, has yep. a great outro too. And what I love is the minor A, the A minor change to an A major. I've got a list of incredible outros by bands I don't like that much. Stairway to Heaven, come on, you have to give yep. it to Stairway to Heaven. That is the best part of the song. Dream On by Aerosmith, yep. like, it's another song I challenge you not to sing along to that if it's playing. You can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Love that outro. Not yep. that musically distinct from the rest of the song, but I still love it. And Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. That is, it's not the solo that makes it. It's the the chord progression change and the vocals by Axl Rose that make those. Here's a couple just I'm sorry, they're cliched but they're too good not to mention. Mr. Brightside by The Killers Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra Uh, Layla by Derek and the Dominoes which you mentioned the piano outro. Uh, Hotel California of course that's going to be on everyone's mind but you gotta say it, it is incredible the the double guitar solo by Don Felder and Joe Walsh. Africa by Toto. Bohemian Rhapsody and We Will Rock You by Queen because they both deserve to be on there and uh, that's it. So do you want to hear more of the songs we mentioned on this episode in our top five lists? Don't forget, with every episode of Extra Credit, The Rock You Podcast, there is an associated Spotify playlist, and you can find a link in the show notes to listen to the whole thing. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, and Saturday, 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 and Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Matt, tell them what's happening. That's right, Seth. We're back after two years of highly abbreviated programming. We are back to the full Rock You En Scène Music Festival at La Javel. All day, Saturday, June 18th. All day, Sunday, June 19th. And all evening, Tuesday, June 21st, Fête de la Musique. Every single Rock You band on stage. That's kids' bands, teen bands. 
bands, adult bands, and even the instructors. Everyone's gonna play. Come on out to La Javel at their new location near Bercy. All right, rockers, we're back with take two because we're not perfect and sometimes we screw up and say things that aren't correct. And a lot of times you point that out to us. so Which we appreciate. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. We're, yeah, we're happy about that. If you have feedback for us, send it to, what's the email address? Podcast at rock-u.fr. And send us a voice file or an email and we'll be happy to read that. So we're going to go through the episodes that we've done since our our last take two. Episode seven, which well, was... Well, I got some stuff for episode six, which is oh, when, our, when our last take two was, I think. Okay. Well, was if you it? got stuff for episode six, let's hear it. Let's go with it. Episode six was our funny songs episode. Am I right about that? I Did think I, so. I'm messing up take two before I even get started. It's possible. <laughs> Um, I do have I do have a few things on episode six though I've got Go four notes uh, I I forgot two actually three songs that I really wish I hadn't forgotten for funny songs the first is Bad Haircut by Mr Wonderful Surprise that's performed most recently by the Doodads if you've heard the Doodads live in concert you've heard Bad Haircut Mr Wonderful Surprise a great ska band out of Buffalo New York. Little known, little kind of a hipster <laughs> reference here, but it's a great song. I will include a link to a doodad's performance of that song in the show notes. And I also forgot the song I Wish. Which I Wish? The Stevie Wonder I Wish or the Skilo I Wish? Both. I love them both. They're both really funny. I wish I thought of them before I made my list for that episode. A mistake, not a mistake, but just a clarification. You mentioned, I think it was grade nine or year nine. nine grade nine. Grade nine by Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, and I said the freshman year of high school is actually called Seconde. In, okay. uh, in France, but that's actually 10th grade because high school starts in 10th grade here. So just a little a little correction okay. if anybody cares. Probably nobody does. Um, <laughs> I mentioned in our last take two that Nina Simone was not admitted to Juilliard and believed that her race was a factor. That was a mistake. She actually studied at Juilliard for a summer, not as an ah. admitted student, a degree student, but she studied at Juilliard for a summer. But it was the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia which denied her entry and ah, that she okay. believed that was racially motivated. And we talked about a. Uh, you mentioned the talk box when you were talking about Peter Frampton. No, about Joe Walsh. Excuse me, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. Yeah, and Peter uh, Frampton also used the talk box t- with great effect. I speculated that a talk box and a vocoder might be the same thing, and a vocoder might just be a brand name. So I looked it up. A talk box makes an instrument sound like a voice. A vocoder makes a voice sound like an instrument. They sound the same, but they are different technologies. Different so tech. Figure I cool. clear that up. I got oh go ahead why don't you uh, you got nothing for six so we're you up got to seven. for six we're up to episode seven I don't have anything for episode seven what's episode seven story songs I have one thing okay we talked about quite a lot about the ghost of Tom Jode right by Bruce Springsteen with the Tom Morello guest appearance live and then in, in a recorded version later the solo you actually used as, as the clip is actually Bruce Springsteen. And, is which it? is remarkable because it's an amazing solo. I could have swore that was Morello. Oh it's my gosh. Of, it's one of the things that I mentioned in my description of the song was that it took a lot of guts for Bruce Springsteen to solo with Tom Morello on stage. Yeah. He pulled off a, an amazing solo and he, yeah, he, he did. did it pretty much the same thing. But why, maybe we can insert a Tom Morello clip right here.
Cool. And then uh, that's it. That's all I have for story songs. Episode eight was our interview with Rory Quinn. And I didn't have anything because Rory's awesome. Me neither. Rory, <laughs> Rory, you're perfect. You're perfect, buddy. Episode nine is collaborations and blurred lines and the best number of guitars. That was everything on there. At one point, I said that for collaborations, I was talking about uh, Public Enemy and Anthrax. And I said that Chuck D had the line, waxes for anthrax, still that can rock bells. But he actually splits that line with Flavor Flav taking the first phrase. And Chuck D put that line in the song because he was flattered that Scott Ian, the guitarist for Anthrax, was wearing public enemy shirts (laughs) while on stage with Anthrax in the mid-80s. Cool. Anthrax actually recorded their version on their own, sampling the original after getting permission from Public Enemy because they were playing it on stage before they recorded it. And I also forgot to mention that the original version of the song appeared on the soundtrack to Less Than Zero. The Anthrax and Public Enemy version can also be found on the Anthrax compilation disc, Attack of the Killer Bees. And then we had a question about, was Dwayne Allman really a member of... Derek ah, yes. and the Dominoes. So Wikipedia says that Dwayne Allman and Dave Mason, both on guitar, were, quote, occasional members of the band in 1970. And what they really mean by that <laughs> is that because Dwayne Allman played on all but three songs yeah. – on Layla and other assorted love songs. And after they recorded that, Clapton offered Dwayne Allman a spot in the band, but Dwayne turned him down in order to stay with the Allman Brothers. And yeah, I, I looked that up too, because we had this question. Yeah, and that was their only album. So he basically played on all of the all but a few of their all but recorded three songs. material. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. yeah. They the band had already formed when they that story about him about Clapton showing up at his well they yeah they went and saw him yeah and then they were hanging out afterwards and he said hey hey you should come play with us on this record i've got to go through and tell you that after doing the blurred lines case the ninth circuit court of appeals just in case you're wondering their website currently lists 51 judges not 40 plus I'm that glad. includes that includes all the senior circuit judges and the regular circuit judges. We got dozens, dozens of emails about that. Era. Yeah, exactly. So really, I'm the only really one that really task. cared about that. <laughs> one of the things that we brought up was Pat Smear yep. playing for Nirvana. He was recorded on the MTV Unplugged record, but it doesn't look like he was on any studio cuts. Didn't with play. The band. Yeah, didn't play yeah. on any of their studio stuff. That was what I had. Do you have anything extra on episode? Yeah, I had a couple more things, a couple corrections, and then a pretty major mea culpa. You (laughs) mentioned Pat Smear. Taylor Hawkins also was a touring drummer for Alanis Morissette, not a session drummer, never played on her recordings. And I can't believe I talked about Jagged Little Pill. The song that I talked about in collaborations was... Um, you ought to know. You ought to know. Thank you. God. You ought to know Senior that moment. song. <laughs> you ought to, I ought to know. I, I didn't. Ben Montench, the keyboard player from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, is also on that song. Yeah. And in fact, on most of that album. And I don't know why. And I don't know why I didn't know that beforehand. But that's a, that's a significant guest appearance. I don't know what the what reason is for that. I probably should have looked that up. I mentioned that Billy Joel played as a session pianist on a song. And I couldn't remember what song. It was uh, Leader of the Pack by Shangri-Las. But a demo version. Not the, wow. not the version that was released. I think he was 15. I'm pretty embarrassed that neither one of us you're talking about uh stevie ray vaughn playing on let's dance yeah i'm pretty embarrassed that neither one of us thought to mention i certainly knew i assume you know that the other guitarist on that song is Nal rogers from she yeah and he is 
a genius. The emperor of the rhythm guitar, the greatest maybe riff, you know, not riff writer, but a groove writer of all time on guitar. David Bowie has this history of collaborating with amazing guitarists. And yeah. these two are two of the top in a very distinguished list. And here's my major mea culpa. His name came up a couple of times, but I can't believe in an episode about collaborations that I didn't mention Sting in a prominent role. One of the most significant collaborators in rock. We talked about him singing backing vocals on Money for Nothing. We talked about having Stevie Wonder play harmonica for him on Brand New Day. But his whole solo career has been built on collaboration. Bringing yeah. in Branford Marsalis and Omar Hakim and Kenny Kirkland and Chris Body. These are jazz musicians to play on his first several albums. Bringing in Algerian rye singer Cheb Mami on uh, some of his later work in Brand New Day uh, on the song Desert Rose. He's collaborated with Mary J. Blige, Alison Krauss, James Taylor, Annie Lennox, Mylene Farmer, Ricky Martin, Sheryl Crow, Paul McCartney, Craig David, sitar player Anushka Shankar, and many, many more uh, with Eric Clapton and David Sanborn on It's Probably Me. He did a whole album with Shaggy. He's done tours with Peter Gabriel and with Paul Simon as co-headliners, and yeah. he's a very significant collaborator. I can't believe I didn't think to say that <laughs> at the time. All right, man. So episode 10, Hidden Gems, The Length of Songs, and The Best Year in Rock. I've only got one. Ankat Dub, and I hope I said that right, uh, <laughs> is the U2 song. It's Gaelic for The Black Cat. All right. That's the one I had for episode 10. Do you have any? I got two short ones. Yes. Okay. Ice Cream Man is a cover. Ice okay. Cream Man by Van Halen. Who, who's the original? I, you know what? I should have written it down. We could look it up, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's an old song. It's like a 20s song. Okay. Yeah. And then, I, for some reason, whenever I talk about Courtney Love of Hole, I end up saying Courtney Hole. Of course, it's not Courtney Hole. It's Courtney Love. Courtney Love. Yeah. Sorry for calling her Courtney Hole. And then episode 11, which was top five intros, feedback, and best city for spawning bands. We were talking about the hard E chord that's reversed on Roundabout by Yes. And you asked the question of, was that sampled on Another One Bites the Dust? Another One Bites the Dust did not sample the intro from Roundabout. The way that they had their piano was uh, John Deacon actually played almost every instrument on that song, including bass and piano. And it was recorded at Musicland Studios in Munich, West Germany. So the thought process of, was it the same piano at Abbey Road? Doesn't fly. Yeah, I checked that so, out too. But it's, it sounds very similar. Yeah. And then you weren't sure about Randy Bachman. I, uh, yeah. I think it was... It's Randy. It's Randy. Yeah. Was it Randy or was it his brother, Robbie? It's Randy. Both of them are in Bachman Turner. Oh, are they? Oh, I didn't even realize that. Well, it's Randy. It's Randy. Yeah. Okay. And then you brought up the fact that it wasn't a dotted eighth note delay. It is. You were right. No. Whoa, wait well, a second. <laughs> there's... There's questions about, okay. is it is it a dotted eighth or is it not? And I looked at a bunch of websites. Some of them say it's a dotted eighth. Some of them say it's not. And the most interesting one that I looked at, and I know absolutely nothing about delays and signal chains and all this, but there's a, a website called amnesta.net that says that Edge allegedly uses two delays. It's a split signal going to two amps. Okay on Where the Streets Have No Name. The first one is a 3 16th delay, about 300... That's a dotted eighth. Yeah, it's a dotted yeah. eighth. A 350 millisecond that's panned to the right. Okay. And a 9 32nd delay, which is a 525 millisecond delay, panned to the left. Interesting. 
Yeah. So, yes, it's dotted eighth. Maybe it's not all dotted eighth. Who knows? Well, I don't know. That's it. I looked it up, too. Not nearly as deep a dive as you, and I found that it was, but it never doesn't sound like one to me, and we couldn't recreate it with the dotted eighth in the studio when we tried to when we played it. So we played it with a different setting, and it sounded better. I don't know. Maybe we'll it's this to, dual set. We'll so have to invite through. the Edge to come and do a podcast with us. Yeah. Talk about his edge, if you're out there, buddy, just give us a call, and we'll be happy to have you on. That was on my list, too. Do you have anything from episode 11? I got a couple. Okay. I'm going to start with a big one. I said in the beginning of the uh, my top five list that, for me, it was like the, sh- the movies where there's a shipwreck, and yeah. they have to draw straws to see which sailor gets eaten so the others can survive, And because I had six. Yeah. And then I said I'd mention the, the one I didn't use in the honorable mentions, and I didn't mention it. Oh, no! It's Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Yep. I won't talk more about it, but what an intro. That's a classic intro. Uh, I talked a little bit with our friend Rory Quinn about that intro for Hot for Teacher, and it's not really clear if it was played on a double kick. It was layered. There's some thought that some of it was played on a pad, actually, with sticks. And yeah. Some of it was played by uh, with a double kick pad, but not it's not all one track. And there seems to be some lack of clarity about exactly how it was played. So we were glib about saying it's just a double kick pedal. Maybe not. We're not really sure. When he plays it live... It's a double kick pedal. It's a double kick pedal. Yeah. All right. Uh, Randy Bachman, you already mentioned. The dotted eighth, you already mentioned. And uh, I wonder if the HPI guys noticed that I almost said Willie Hatch instead of Willie Hall for the drummer on Shaft. Um, (laughs) It turns out, I I was talking about the Ottawa effect on Money by the OJs, and I recreate that sound with a, with an Ottawa, but it's actually not an Ottawa on the original track. It's a phaser, which is a very similar effect. But ah, okay. Minor correction for you guitar you guitar geeks out there. And finally, I looked up the intro to Rock of Ages by Def Leppard. Okay. What? The words are Gunter Glieben Glauten Globen, which is pretty close to what you speculated. Yeah. And it's gibberish. <laughs> and uh, producer Means- Mutt Lang, who is German, did so many takes, he got tired of counting the song in with one, two, three, four. So he started saying German sounding gibberish. And the band liked it so much, they included it, and they sometimes claim, jokingly, that it means running through the forest silently, which it does not mean. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so is it Mutt Lang on the record? He's the producer. Yeah, he's but the one. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's his It's his That's voice. him. Yeah. That's not, that's yeah. not uh, the lead singer. It's Mutt Lang. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. I, didn't, I never knew that. I didn't either. Awesome. See, you got to learn these things. You got to look them up. <laughs> That's why we're here, people. Use the Google. <laughs> Hey, rockers. Got the summertime blues? Sitting around at home waiting for that summer vacation? Don't be bored. Come rock out with us instead at Rock U. We're offering week-long summer bands for ages 8 to 16 from June 27th to July 29th. You come, you play, you learn some great songs, try something new, make a video at the end of the week to share with your friends and family. Come on, and we'll see you this summer. All right, kids, we're back. It's time for the one-minute matchup. And the last one-minute matchup of season one, we're going to do the best invention in rock. Matt's got the stopwatch. You went first last time, right? I went first last time. Okay, so I'm going to go Which, first Which, by the way, time. was the very first time we ever agreed on, right. an, on a non-yes or no question. On, on a, a non-yes yes or no, no question, question. yeah. yeah. We'll right. see what happens this time. You ready? Tell me when you're ready. I am ready to go. Here we go. Three, two, one. Take it away. All right, the best invention in rock is the drum set, the drum kit, the kick drum especially. It was invented in New Orleans, Louisiana by an African-American drummer named D.D. Chandler because he made the first bass drum pedal sometime around 1896. That invention allowed him to play the bass drum and his snare drum and a cymbal at the same time. 
That allowed rhythms that define rock, pop, metal, and funk to be invented, and it got people dancing. When multiple rhythms are played by one person, you get groove. When you play the backbeat, usually the snare on the two and the four, like Earl Palmer did for the first time all the way through the song of the Fats Domino tune, The Fat Man, in 1949, you get the beat of almost all popular music today. Without the drum set, rock and roll as a musical genre would never have existed. So by inventing the drum set, D.D. Chandler built the basis of rock and roll. 57 seconds. 57 seconds, seconds, not bad. I'll say... Too bad you're completely wrong. A lot of the... uh, (laughs) A lot of that information I got from a video called uh, On Drums by your guy, Stuart Copeland. I know that video. And uh, it's on YouTube, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks for reminding me. And you know something I just have to say, uh, before I give you my, which is obviously the correct answer, my answer. Um, Not I, obviously the <laughs> correct answer. I'll die on this hill. I'll fight you on Okay, well, one. I was going to say, there's an easy solution to your, your technical problem of how, how to get the kick drum, which is just have another drummer. one guy plays the bass drum which is how they do it in new orleans one guy plays the bass someone else plays the snare only for second line so i was gonna say sounds pretty good it doesn't sound like they lack but it goes but it goes from second line to where you've only got now the band leader only has to pay one guy yes you have you have convenience to band leader when you hear my answer i have revolutionized music forever Not really. Oh, let's see. <laughs> we'll go for it. All right. I'm, I'm waiting to hear what this argument okay. is. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Here, your minute starts now. Yeah, I don't really understand why this is a question. The most significant invention in rock and roll is the electric guitar. Without the electric guitar, there simply is no rock and roll. Electric guitar is the sound of rock and roll in all forms. Distorted guitar, clean guitar, funk guitar, uh, guitar effects... Um, the electric guitar, to, to simplify, was basically invented by Les Paul, basically. There were other people who contributed to it, but his design is the one that really, uh, the solid body electric guitar. And it was meant for jazz players so they so that jazz guitarists could play loud enough to be heard over the rest of the orchestra, because uh, guitar's not that loud an instrument on its own. But that sound has changed music forever. I really don't have much more to say about this. I have some more details, but there just doesn't seem to be much point in saying them. So I'll stop there. The electric guitar is the sound of rock and roll, period, the end, 52 seconds. (laughs) 52.33. Yeah, but I could have ended it at 40. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, Seth, we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. Yeah, let's, let's. You know what? Let's let the listeners chime in. Let's see how. What do you guys think out there? Send us some feedback on this one, guys. Yeah, podcast at rock-u.fr, and you can tell us whether you think changing the sound of of music forever by bringing in a completely new group of textures and timbers is more important than saving the band leader from playing paying one extra musician. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I might be oversimplifying. You're but, way uh, oversimplifying uh, that. Kick drum because without answer. the kick drum, there's no groove. It's a good without answer. Groove, there's no rock just, and roll. No, not with that. there's still a groove if you have another player. <laughs> if the drummer quits, the song quits. <laughs> no question. But if you have two drummers, you just get yeah, you're fine. If you okay. have two drummers, you're the Doobie Brothers or the Allman yeah, but, Brothers. Uh, yeah, okay. Just go listen to some some New Orleans drumline and tell me if you think it has groove or not. And there's there's no kick drum involved in there. Uh, all right. Well, I got to say before we before we we before you press that button to stop the recording, Seth, that's that's it for season one. We actually did it. 
Well done, my friend. <laughs> Thank you for everything you brought to this. I said in the beginning, this was Seth's idea, and it's well, been a pleasure to do this year. It wouldn't have come through without you and the help of, of our sponsors and Rock You, essentially, because we're recording here at, at the basement studio of Rock You, where everybody learns how to, how to rock out and jam, where I learned how to play drums, where you've taught... Well, I'm sure you could probably tell me the exact number of students <laughs> you've taught yet. over no, the no. years, yeah. but it's a lot. And this has just been such a great thing for me. And I hope that our listeners really enjoy it. So thanks. I hope so too. Are we done now or do we have a little something that people should stay tuned for? We might have a little something, something for you. During the summertime, yeah. maybe a little summer school. Oh, a little bit of summer school. I like the idea. Before And you know something I will just say? If you're packing the family up in the car for a long vacation, or if you've got that flight ahead of you that you know, you're heading out to the beach someplace, we got 12 episodes. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you missed any, go back and check them out. Yeah, and keep an eye out for maybe a little bit of summer school from Extra Credit, the Rock You Podcast. Today's episode of Extra Credit The Rock You Podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com, including their first release, the EP Posture, by former Rock You student Person M. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>